0: Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production
1: in association with City News.
2: If you're wondering what's different in Canadian federal politics today, the answer is nothing and everything. Today, I'm announcing that the Liberal Party has reached an agreement with the New Democratic Party to deliver results for Canadians now. This Supply and Confidence Agreement starts today and will be in place until the end of this parliament in 2025. The agreement reached between the Liberal and New Democratic Parties doesn't allow for anything that they couldn't have already done together without it. It doesn't change how government works. But it might change how much it works. So in this difficult time when people needed help, we are using our power to get them that help. We're making sure people get help to get their teeth fixed, to to get the medication they need. And we're not going to let the Liberal government off the hook. We're going to continue to fight hard for people and continue to make sure we hold them to account to deliver these things that people need. This deal puts concrete policy moves on paper and on a timeline. It has the potential to turn a whole bunch of campaign promises on both sides into tangible results. It also might end our recent cycle of federal elections every 18 months or so. Oh, and it has also made the Conservative Party of Canada mad, like really mad.
0: They cannot be trusted. These parties cannot be trusted. Neither of these men can be trusted to do his best for the country. So a lot of implications, we have a lot of work to do and we're gonna, get to, we're gonna get to work doing that.
2: So what does the Supply and Confidence Agreement actually do? How rare are these agreements? Is this a way to get things done or a way to subvert democracy as its critics claim? And most importantly, what will it mean for you and your life over the next few years? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Cormac McSweeney is the Parliament Hill reporter for City News and for us by extension. Hey, Cormac. Hey, how's it going? It's going really well. I'm glad that you could find the time for us. I know in the wake of this deal, uh, it must be pretty busy up there on the Hill.
1: Just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, it's always an interesting time on Parliament Hill, it seems.
2: Well, let's get this out of the way right now. We're going to get you to basically, I mean, give us an FAQ. I think a lot of people were uh, surprised by this deal and, and there are some nuances to it that may not be apparent on the surface. So first, what kind of deal is this? What actually is a supply and confidence agreement?
1: Essentially, it's a tit for tat agreement. Um, The opposition party, whoever it may be, and the government enter this agreement and, and create a deal where the opposition party in a minority parliament situation says, look, we've got enough votes here that we can prop up your government that you won't have to worry about being taken down early and Uh, For whatever set amount of time they agree upon, that opposition party will support the government of the day in terms of budgets, any confidence matters, really, spending bills, things like that, um, so that the government doesn't fall, so that we're not thrust into another election or questions about who might be uh, governing the country if it falls too early after an election. And then in exchange for that, usually there are offers of policy matters, like following through on a number of issues. And so that's what we got here with this liberal NDP deal where uh, the NDP say, look, we're not going to topple you. We're not we're going to support you to keep you up as the government of the day until um, I believe it stretches until June 2025. So the two parties will work together on things that they see eye to eye
2: on. Just to clarify, this is not a coalition government, right? What's the difference?
1: Yeah, it's, it's not a coalition government. Uh, coalition governments happen when two parties after an election decide to work together to form government. And again, it's it's usually a minority government situation. And uh, the other party that's hoping to support the party that won the most seats uh, will then join cabinet in some way. That's usually how it works. So if it is a coalition, you would see, like just using the liberal NDP example, it would mean that You know, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh might become the deputy prime minister, or uh, maybe uh, NDP MP Peter Julian becomes the new finance minister, or Charlie Angus is the new indigenous services minister. Whatever it is, they agree to a certain amount of seats per party within the cabinet table, which means that both parties would be fully involved in making day-to-day decisions on the functioning of our country from a federal government's point of view. But that's not what we have here. The difference is that there are only a set number of issues that both parties have agreed upon here. The NDP is not going to be sitting around the cabinet table. It will not have votes on where they go on certain issues. They will, however, uh, be having regular meetings with the liberals to be keeping an eye on the items that they've agreed to work upon to make sure that those things are actually getting done. Um, so they there will be several other issues that the NDP will not support the government on, not be involved in the decision-making over, and they're free in the House of Commons to vote against the government on those matters as long as they're not taking down the government in terms of a matter of confidence. Okay, that makes
2: sense. And we're going to get to in a minute um, exactly what they are working together on and exactly what kinds of... Of policies are at stake here. But maybe just first, how rare is this type of deal in Canadian politics? And more importantly, what do we know about how it came together and what was going on behind the scenes? So it's
1: pretty rare in federal politics. It's pretty rare to see something like this. In fact, I'm unaware of any written formal agreement between a minority government and an opposition party to have a supply and confidence deal um, on the federal level. On the provincial level, we have seen this before. More recently, in 2017, in British Columbia, the NDP government of John Horgan had right. a razor-thin victory there, um, but they were able to team up with the Greens In order to uh, with a similar agreement to this, and uh, I understand that this is kind of what this whole agreement was based on uh, to to be able to govern in British Columbia. It's not unheard of. It's happened in Canadian politics. It's just very rare to see this happen in federal politics. But that doesn't mean that it's something that is wrong or is not allowed. Um, This is allowed. It's a parliamentary democracy. These sorts of deals to govern are quite common when you get outside of Canada. When you look to Europe, you will see a lot of wheeling and dealing that happens between many different parties in certain uh, parliamentary democracies uh, where after every election, there is a period of parties trying to just get deals to work together together. What we know about how this came about, I actually spoke with a a government source about this. I was told that discussions really began in the fall after the election. Now, there was that initial conversation that happened between Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and all the opposition leaders. He spoke with all of them one-on-one to talk about how they could make parliament work and where they could go from there. And making parliament work was something that the prime minister talked about, I think, in his first news conference After the election, when he was kept to basically a status quo minority government, um, and he said that he had received the message from Canadians. So I'm told that there were some discussions that began in the fall about this, and then things kind of went silent for a little while. Then the discussions picked back up again between the Liberals and NDP in January. This came at a time when the government was looking at multiple crises, Coming out, you know, you had the blockade and the issues that were happening in front of Parliament Hill with the trucker convoy protests. And and through February, you had the war in Ukraine. There was a lot of instability, both domestically and internationally. And, um, you know, as the prime minister said in his news conference, he believes that the country needs some stability. So the source tells me they picked back up in January and February, and that led to the deal where the news broke late Monday night. And I'm told um, that, you know, The leadership groups were dealing with this, and there was a lot in these discussions that happened over weeks. Um, Most of it was being led leader to leader. So, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh were having a lot of conversations about this privately. Um, But then there were also some some in the leadership teams. Uh, I do know that there was a caucus meeting and a cabinet meeting that happened Monday night, and that was when news kind of broke of all of this. And I was told by another government source, that there was a general agreement with liberal MPs uh, that this was the path to move forward on. Then it got punted to the NDP, uh, who had to give a final rubber stamp of approval. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: There wasn't a lot of news on the NDP discussions that happened Monday night. But first thing Tuesday morning, that's when we saw the prime minister hold a news conference and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh hold a news conference. So I think it's safe to say that the NDP MPs approved the deal
2: as well. So in terms of policy, then, what does the NDP get out of this? And I guess, by extension, uh, what will Canadians get over the life of this deal? I know there's a lot there. Um, maybe just give us the highlights and the areas on which they'll be pushing. So there are a lot of issues that are a part of this deal, but a lot of
1: them were also in the platforms of the two parties. And this is really what they were looking on on trying to come to an agreement on is the path forward on their shared values, as the prime minister says. There was talk about national pharmacare. Um, something new on that is is having a, a timeline on getting a pharmacare act uh, before parliament and making more moves on that. It's something that uh, the government had kind of let go to the side for a while after initially taking steps towards pharmacare. Uh, so through this deal, the NDP is kind of giving them a kick in the butt, if you will, uh, to say, let's get this done now. Uh, but it is something that the the Liberals had already sort of promised and were looking at continuing, Um, but during the pandemic, they had kind of just uh, delayed their plans there. Uh, But there are also issues around, uh, you know, rapid housing initiatives, uh, tackling climate change, uh, you know, greening the economy, clean jobs for the future. 10 days of paid sick leave for federally regulated workers, things like that, things that reconciliation with indigenous peoples, um, you know, making significant additional investments in indigenous housing. Uh, those things were already sort of being worked on, but there are some new things that were being, that that are being popped up through all of this as well. The dental plan was a big thing that the NDP had pushed for in the election. They wanted some sort of national dental care plan and it wasn't something the Liberals were pushing on, but that this is something that they're able to get through this deal. And it's a little bit specific about where we go from here. Uh, the dental care program would be for lower-income Canadians. Uh, it would start with people under 12 years old of age this year in 2022. They then want to expand it to anyone under 18 years of age, then seniors and persons with disabilities in 2023, and then full implementation by 2025. And the program would be restricted to families with an income of less than $90,000 annually with no co-pays for anyone under $70,000 annually in income. So uh, that's a big step forward in terms of what we're going to see for the country um, in terms of dental care. And it's something that the NDP were able to get out of this as well. There are some interesting electoral reforms happening, but not in the way you vote in terms of the way our our system is structured. Uh, So in terms of changing democracy, it would be um, expanding election day to three days of voting, allowing people to vote at any polling place within their electoral district, basically making voting easier Uh, for people. But those are changes that we didn't have before. So there will be some big policy things to come out of this. But, uh, you know, there were questions as well for the NDP about, um, you know, whether this deal was even necessary or not, because some of these things they already saw eye to eye on and could have worked together without a written agreement. Um, But the NDP wanted that confirmation uh, that you get when you launch a deal like this to hold the government
2: to account. That was going to be my next question. The Liberals uh, already have cooperated with the NDP on some things to, to get them done over the last couple of years. How different is it now that it's on paper from them working closely with them on any policy matter? Like, How binding is this deal and what's the difference between them just seeing eye to eye and getting something done?
1: Well, the previous strategy from the Liberals was not to just work with the NDP. Uh, sometimes you get that sort of scenario where there's only one party in a minority parliament that the government can work with, and they work together, but they don't have a written agreement on what they're going to do. And and there's some water and wine on both sides, and you know things happen, um, and governments may live and governments may fall, but there, nothing is ever in writing. As we saw through the first minority parliament of the Trudeau Liberals, The prime minister and the liberals didn't rely on only one party. They bounced around a bit. They got some help from the conservatives on issues that the conservatives could vote for. The Bloc Québécois was another party that the liberals leaned on to make sure that they could get certain pieces of legislation passed. And then they also had a dance partner with the NDP. So they weren't beholden to one party. They could sort of jump around a little bit, Uh, but at the same time, it's a minority parliament. So you never know when the government could technically fall for the NDP They didn't want to see this jumping around, and they wanted a little bit more say in where some of these policy items were going to go. Through getting this written deal, they're able to get some confirmation that they're going to be involved in the planning. What they want to see is going to get done on these specific items. Um, You know, on all other items that are not a part of this deal, they can, uh, you know, disagree. That's not going to be an issue. In return, the Liberals get stability. Um, And at a time when we're facing, you know, war in Eastern Europe, there are a lot of big questions about how much that could grow and where we could go from there. Uh, The liberals were looking for some confirmation that they were able to govern, pass budgets, get things done in parliament without having to worry about potentially falling with every spending bill that comes across the house of commons. Uh, So both sides get something out of this, Um, you know, come the 2025 election. I think, Every party, whether they're opposed to this or involved in this, there are pros and cons to both sides about where we go from here and what this might mean in the next election. But for the time being, for the short term, for the next few years, um, it does mean, as long as everybody follows through on their promises, uh, that we will have some stability here. Uh, But the NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, did warn that if the Liberals fall short on these major items— They'll try to hold them to account, but if they don't follow through with their end of the bargain, then the deal is off.
0: In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to.
1: We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could.
0: I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.
2: We played a couple of clips in the intro. Uh, The Conservative Party of Canada is, mm, to put it mildly, pissed off about this. Um, why are they so angry about it? What are their criticisms? And and if you can, which are substantive and, and which are more rhetoric? So clearly they're not happy.
1: Um, they're calling this a callous power grab from the prime minister to get a majority government, an acting majority government, when he was handed a minority government by The voters in the fall election. That's the way the conservatives are framing it. Um, they, they also call it backdoor socialism, and they claim the country is in for a real rough ride. Uh, they say this is proof that taxes are going to go up. Interim conservative leader Candace Bergen made some other claims as well um, that, you know, we would have to fact check because because they might not accurately reflect what the situation is she says this is a coalition, and the NDP would be in control of the government. Um, that's not exactly how this deal seems to be uh, presented. and we've already been over that this is not a coalition government situation. so um you right. know saying it's a coalition government is is not accurate either. Uh, So there are there are some things that people should be aware of in terms of the criticisms around all of this. But there are criticisms for this happening. uh, And the opposition conservatives feel that uh, this is not what voters voted for. I mean, we did just have an election uh, back in the fall. And this was not on the table when voters were casting their ballots. They were either voting for the liberals or voting for the NDP. Um, There was no talk of this ahead of that. But at the same time, it is allowed in our parliamentary democracy, maybe just less common uh, in the
2: federal political scene here in Canada. Just to poke a little bit more about uh, why the Conservatives might be so angry about this, aside from uh, their claims about backdoor socialism, etc. They are, as you mentioned, in the middle of a leadership race. How does this impact that? And And how does it, if it at all might... Change who conservatives would prefer to have as a leader if they know they're not going to be able to like come right into this and go to an election.
1: Well, I think this is going to change some of the discussion on the campaign trail for sure. You have some candidates who have been pushing this idea of a liberal NDP coalition uh, as a reality, saying it's going to happen. They've been talking about this sort of the the boogeyman that was going to come for some time, and now it's actually here. Uh, so this is going to be an issue that's going to pop up on the campaign trail. How do the conservatives now battle a partnership on on certain policies between the liberals and the NDP until twenty twenty five when we're going to get our next election? Again, you know there are still possibilities that we could have an earlier election than twenty twenty five. Right. So for the next few years, um, who do you want battling? the Prime Minister in the House of Commons, and not just the Prime Minister, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, will they still be the candidate you want in 2025 is a question I think Conservative membership will have to ask. They might have to look a little bit more long-term for who they're choosing as their leader and whether those leaders would be able to withstand three years going toe-to-toe with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and whether they would be able to build up the fortunes of the conservative party in that time frame. Time can be a great thing for politicians, but it can also be a huge hindrance for politicians, regardless of your party. So calculations may have to change for the conservative membership a little bit, but I think this is going to be a big talking point. Of course, I think every conservative candidate is going to say the same thing. Uh, This is awful. This is bad. This is not what we want to see for uh, democracy in Canada. Right. Those are the lines you can expect. And and we've already seen that coming out from some of the big players, but what do you do about it? How do you battle that? How do you separate yourselves uh, from the flock in 2025? If there's a scenario where the liberals are now more dominant as a result of this, or maybe the NDP are picking up steam and they've gained some traction because they're seen as a party who can get things done. You know, the changing dynamic over the next three years will be interesting to watch. And it's something that I think conservative members have to think about. We'll we'll have to see how this all shakes out in the leadership race, because there are still months to go
2: before conservatives cast their ballots. You mentioned how much time is theoretically, at least, uh, left until the next election now, which was the last thing I wanted to ask you about. Obviously, the conservatives are choosing a new leader right now. Uh, Jagmeet Singh has positioned himself, I think, well to get some stuff done for the NDP going into the next election, which leaves Justin Trudeau. And, you know, a lot of people were already kind of speculating that the past election might have been his last. This is now looking three plus more years in the future. What are the chances um, that Trudeau is not the leader uh, for the next election? Well, uh, in the fall of 2025,
1: Justin Trudeau will have been prime minister for about a decade. That's a long time for a prime minister to be in that role. He has said both after the election and when asked during his news conference in regards to this uh, deal being announced, if he would be the prime minister and the liberal leader heading into the next election. And both times he has not hesitated in saying, yes, I plan to be the liberal leader heading into the next election. That is my plan. okay so he says he's not going anywhere but then again, we've we've seen many politicians over our time do about faces or uh, you know change their position on something. So it's not quite clear where we may go with that but you know if we take him at his word, he's going to be the prime minister and the liberal leader heading into the next election. things could change. This could there are pros and cons, I think I said earlier, pros and cons to both parties. Involved in this deal, as well as the opposition parties who are not fans of this or uh, for the NDP. Um, there are already some, you know, I call them hardcore new Democrats, uh, people who are, are very into the party. I, I've seen on Twitter and uh, seen through other discussions that there are some who believe that, you know, they're they're selling out their their beliefs in some way or that the NDP will become obsolete by 2025 because the liberals under Justin Trudeau have basically been slowly taking more and more of their ideas, and uh, since 2015, and have really become the more dominant progressive force. And so there are fears that the NDP will be significantly weakened. Jugmeet Singh's response to that is that you know he said he doesn't care what the discussion is heading into the next election. He's able to get something done for Canadians and that's what matters to him. Getting dental care for low-income people who can't afford to fix their teeth, um, to even have basic oral hygiene checkups, that's what he cares about. So we'll see whether this is a, a bonus because voters may look at this and say, look, the NDP is getting stuff done. They're actually using their parliamentary powers for the good and that might be beneficial for them or it could be a hindrance. For the Liberals, you know, they'll be in power for a decade. Um, usually around that time frame, Canadians get itchy and uh, start to look at other options. But if there is another minority situation after the next election, that could benefit and we could see potentially another deal like this. But you know, the opposition parties who don't like this deal, uh, the Conservatives and the Bloc Québécois, may be railing hard against the Prime Minister saying, you can't trust him. Look what he did in the last election. He ran for a liberal government and then turned around and cut a deal with the NDP. We've already heard this line coming from the interim conservative leader, and I think that's a line they're going to repeat nonstop until 2025. So we'll have to wait and see whether this is a bonus for the liberals and they can squeeze out another mandate after this, or whether this is going to further hurt them uh, when they head to the polls after spending so long in power. For the conservatives, you know they've. I, I mentioned that they've been talking for some time about the boogeyman of a liberal NDP coalition or partnership. Well, it's here now, and it's going to be here for the next few years. If this works out well for the NDP and the Liberals, and Canadians are really happy with what they saw there it might not be as easy to capitalize on the campaign trail aside from rallying your base that was already probably going to vote for you anyway maybe the conservatives can take back some people who might have fled to the people's party but um you know there there's a risk that if things go well for the liberals and the ndp with this deal that it might not help the conservatives when they head to the ballot box in 2025 on the flip side Maybe things are problematic. Maybe there are issues. Maybe cost of living does not go down and Canadians are still sick and tired and hurting in their pocketbooks. If that happens, then the Conservatives could could be seen as the shining light. For the Bloc Québécois, a different scenario, of course, because they're so focused on Quebec. However, again, if there are a lot of items that uh, really appeal to Quebecers out of all of this, that could be an issue for the Bloc Quebecois in, in maintaining relevance as well. In a minority situation, the Liberals had to lean on the Bloc to try and get legislation passed. They no longer need the Bloc. There's, there's going to be no reason for the Liberals to give in to any amendments that the Bloc could be looking for. So it takes away Uh, some of the ammunition the bloc might have saying, look, we can get stuff done in the House of Commons as well. But then again, it's the Bloc Quebecois, they're sovereignists. They don't even want to be a part of Canada. (laughs) So (laughs) to say that they're useful in the House of Commons could be just saying, again, the House of Commons is disruptive and uh, we don't need it anymore and maybe it will you know, really push that sovereignist bloc back up again because it's been quiet for quite a long time. Um, Maybe they could use this as a rallying point. Um, So we'll have to wait and see what the strategy are, but there are so many different avenues this could go. I'm fascinated to see what the next three years hold.
2: It will be fascinating to see. Thank you, Cormac. I think I speak uh, not for any partisans, but maybe for tired journalists that uh, at least it will be nice not to have another federal election in six months or 12 months. My wife and kids
1: uh, will be happy that I might not have to go to an election. But again, you know what? Elections are Canadians getting to pick and choose who they want to run their country. It's democracy. It ain't pretty, but it's the democracy we have. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to, to have a democracy.
2: Indeed. Thank you again. Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill reporter for City News. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca, find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn, and of course, email us with story ideas, with compliments, with criticism, with whatever you got. The Big Story Podcast, all one word, at rci.rogers.com. You can find The Big Story in every single podcast player under the sun, including, apparently... Castro Podcasts, which is the favorite podcast app of one of our listeners. There you go. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime.
0: Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada, within about 12 months. So she was scared. Something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive.
2: She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency.